0: House of Tales by Oka
1: So what home means to me is my shelter and my world. It's a shelter and it's my world. And so I think these two things, you know, determine the style because it's obviously it's it's your personal thing and so that's where the style comes in. But by shelter, I mean, it has to feel comfortable and it has to feel cozy.
0: That's Martina Mondadori, the Italian-born founder and editor of cult interior design bible Cabana, that celebrates the revival of craft, filling its pages with treasures sourced from artisans across the globe. Design is in Martina's blood, having grown up in a wildly atmospheric Milanese apartment it was decorated by family friend Renzo Mongiardino, she would eventually settle and fall in love with English life, decoration and stately homes. The move to London a decade ago also proved to be the catalyst for launching Cabana, bringing together the eccentric and eclectic, inspired by both English and Italian design. Her decision to return to her childhood home of Milan, just moments before the pandemic took hold, has provided a new canvas for her and her life partner, the artist, interior designer and photographer, Ashley Hicks. Together, they merged their design talents to create an aesthetic that artfully mixes Africa and Europe, ancient and modern, and brought a little bit of England to Italy while celebrating the importance of artistry and craftspeople that make a home worth living in. This is the Oka House of Tales podcast, and we're on a journey to meet inspirational guests to explore our love affair with living well and how relationships with the home are as unique as the people and their passions. So sit back, relax, and feel perfectly at home with our guest, Martina Mondadori.
1: Martina, it's lovely to meet you. Lovely to be here and thank you for having me.
0: Nice to see you and see that you're wearing nice print because that's what I kind of always expect whenever I see you out and about. Yeah, I love prints. It's like easy wardrobe for me, yeah. You look fab. I want to kick off, uh, and I've seen you sort of out and about, as I just said, um, Milan uh, Design Week over the years. And I know you've had a real life in design. I often find this quite interesting when I talk to designers. When you kind of remember first being exposed to design as a discipline, as a thing, as a kind of industry, when were you first really aware of it?
1: I always say that Cabana started off from from my life, from my childhood, because both my mother and father, who divorced when I was very little, so I was exposed to two different types of Design. But, you know, the house where I grew up, my mother's house, is the one place that has influenced me more than anything else because it was decorated by Mongiardino, who I always say is like a founding father of Cabana. So I think it was always there, you know. I mean, I'm, I was born in that house. But in a way, the funny thing is that I started being aware of it in a negative way. So when I was about seven or eight, I started being extremely kind of rebel and saying to my mother, you know, but why can't we live in a white cube in a minimalist house? And why are we living in such a dark house? And why is my room not pink like everyone else's? I was being very radical. (laughs) And I remember one day my my mother actually put me in front of Renzo Mongiardino, who was always coming for lunch and said, you know, so Martinez is asking why you didn't do this, why do you, you don't do very minimalist houses. And he said, so for me, it's about simple objects and creating an incredible atmosphere around them, but making sure that those simple objects are part of everyone's day-to-day life. And I started looking at at his work and design in general as a sort of combination of aesthetics and functionality. To answer your question, that was my first moment of awareness around design and around the objects that surround us also in a house.
0: So how long did it take you, I guess, to reappraise your family house and recognise that actually you do see
1: the value in that kind of approach and that style? I can tell you it was when I moved to London. So I moved to London in 2012 and I wasn't living in that house, you know, it was my mother's apartment. I was living in Milan, before, and I was, you know, a very young mother of two children and probably living in Italy, you kind of, I was giving things for granted or just looking at it as, and then I moved to London and suddenly I think I've started feeling nostalgic about my home, my childhood home, Mm -hmm. about my home country, about Italy, and seeing both with completely different eyes. Mm -hmm. And I think this change of point of view And also the fact that my adoptive country and city, London and England, I started seeing how much the English culture is able to appreciate traditions and make them feel relevant today and, you know, appreciate the past, appreciate history. Whereas I think Italians have a bit of a tendency to always run towards the next trend, being probably afraid of owning the past. So I think I kind of made that switch and I started looking at my house uh, at my mother's house, the apartment, with completely different eyes and thinking, "Gosh, this is so inspiring! This is you know mm-hmm. every single detail of, you know the the decors, the colors, the inspirations." And I started doing actually mood boards. That's how Cabana started. Ah,
0: oh, okay. It's
1: me doing mood boards, mixing that you know images of that house, images of Italian historical houses, and all the incredible English homes I was visiting, um, you know, as a tourist, uh, trying to discover my new country. And so visiting all the stately homes. And after like the fifth or sixth mood board, I thought, gosh, there's something here, you know, it's connecting Mm. these two traditional worlds of interiors in England and Italy. And that's how, you know, the first idea of Cabana started.
0: There's been a really wonderful revival of craft and artisanship and recognition of that and Trying to keep those crafts alive, which I think Cabana is obviously
1: part of. But what do you think's really driven that? I think it's a reaction to globalization because, you know, when you start traveling the world and seeing the same style hotels, whether you're in Marrakesh, New York, or in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. the same shops in every street, then the mm-hmm. same, you know, you open magazines around the world and you see the same things all over. That's when I think, as human beings, we react again to the special object that feels that has a real story behind it, mm-hmm. and to the uniqueness that any crafted object has. So I think that's the reason over the last ten years we've reacted differently to to craftsmanship and rediscovered the pleasure of, you know, artisans. The pleasure also of you know of understanding and appreciating the time it takes when something is handmade or when something is mm. crafted, you know, the time it takes to get those, those objects. And especially with, you know, with furniture.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that something when you travel that you always sort of make sure that you're seeking out kind of studios or artisans? And if so, I know nobody's traveled much for the last few yeah. years, but can you think of a kind of recent discovery that you particularly excited by in that respect?
1: Yes. So, you know, because we weren't able to travel that much and to faraway places and having moved back to Italy, it was Italy. And Italy is a huge playground if you're interested in craftsmanship. And there were two regions in particular. Uh, One was Puglia, so in the south. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And Puglia is home to incredible craftspeople, whether textiles or weavers or ceramicist. Um, But you really, and we work closely with some of them as with Cabana. And the other region is Umbria, which is in the heart of Italy in the center, and it's next to Tuscany, but it's less known. And there as well, they're incredible weavers, textile makers, and again, ceramicists. Mm-hmm. So it really was a matter of, you know, driving to these places and, and rediscovering my country.
0: I know you talked about the kind of concept of a cabana bringing together these sort of heritages and, and design heritages from different countries, but how much of it also was an objective to celebrate the artisan and, and, and have your initial objectives evolved?
1: Well, I think at the beginning it was really about celebrating, um, you know, heritage and classic interiors. But by classic, I mean timeless, whether vintage or uh, crafted objects that would have that patina, the history that the interiors we showcase in the magazine have. And I really hope, you know, if if we can create as much awareness as possible, I really hope that there will be continued because the risk obviously Mm. is that the next generations will feel that they can do something else. And very often what happens is that the next generation, the kids would love to do it, but they feel it's not cool. And I think that's something we all need to think about and work around, because actually it's it's so important that these traditions continue mm. in each country. I mean, you know, England as well has an incredible tradition of, of artisans mm. and craftsmen.
0: While living in London, Martina became hugely appreciative of the way England has a respect for history and the past, whereas Italians have a passion for the new. But after 10 years, she became increasingly nostalgic for her roots, not just for Italy, but for her childhood home. It led her to look at things with different eyes and ultimately to return to Milan and set up a new home in a turn-of-the-century bourgeois space. But I wonder how many similarities you kind of see between English and Italian design. I mean... I always just, I'm so envious of the Italians because I just think if there was ever any other nation I'd like to be from, it would be like everything is just done so beautifully and so stylishly. But what, what do you see as the kind of differences in the the way that there's anything that chimes, that there's any synergy between English and Italian? Well,
1: let's go back a few centuries and you mm-hmm. see that England, you know, with a grand tour, for example so many incredible English houses were not only inspired by, but made by also either Italian architects or with, you know, filled with Italian art. Yeah. Um, and definitely the inspiration behind all the biggest English architects of the time were Italian houses, you know, Palladio yeah. inspiring. And so I think, you know, that's, it, it goes back a few centuries. And I think the thing is, there's kind of a dialogue. I think we recognize in one another there's like an appreciation of style. We Probably it's done in different ways. And I think in a way the weather influences mm-hmm. that as well, the light, the colors. So I'll give you an example. When I moved to London, I did my house here I, and I started, you know, inviting friends and I've realized something I wasn't aware of. My English friends would come in and say, gosh, this is a really Italian house. And I said, but what way? You know, I wasn't thinking of doing it Italian and say, the colors, Martina, the colors, the terracotta, the saffron, the, you know, the Pompeii red, they're very Italian colors. We would never do that. We would never go for that. It's so interesting.
0: Yeah,
1: It never occurred to me that those were in fact Italian colors. But I think, you know, if you grow up in Italy, you walk in the streets, the terracotta is everywhere. You walk into a church, they're all fresco, that the frescoes have those warm pinks. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, so I think that's, in England, it's different. But at the mm-hmm. same time, for example, the appreciation, the way the English have of doing the houses and making them feel as if they'd always been there. It's that ability that I think only the English have of pulling off and also of adding something that feels off. And yet it's perfect so that, you know, I remember once meeting just once, unfortunately, Min Hog the founder of World of Interiors. Mm. And she said to me, when I was choosing a house to publish or a room, every room I published had to have something wrong in it. Mm -hmm. She said, I wasn't interested in imperfection. It was the imperfection. It was the odd thing out that made that room feel interesting. Mm -hmm. I think the Italians are scared of that, whereas the English are just, you know, the eccentricity that comes out through that. It's
0: interesting, actually, because the other person I've had a similar conversation with, weirdly, is Piero Lassoni. He, he talked about, like, that imperfection, certainly in sort of the way he dresses and things that he, he likes, that little off, like, note, which he mm. thinks it is really interesting. So, can you talk a little bit about your
1: home in Milan? Mm-hmm. It's a turn-of-the-century property i understand yes yes um uh, it is um and it's in an area that i'd never lived in before in milan you know it feels more villagey neighborhood and the house well you know i I had to decide on this house during lockdown then the fun part began of thinking how to how to decorate it and my life partner is um is in decoration um ashley hicks and we sort of we really did it together and um he's he's Decorated the walls in such an amazing, in such an amazing way, and really interpreting my my love for Italian colors and a reinterpretation, probably of my childhood home in a more modern way. Is there
0: one part that you think's worked really well?
1: Yes, it's what we call the Pestum room because it's the, the room where he painted scenes from the Pestum ruins in Italy by Piranesi. Um, And he projected them and hand-painted them on a hessian cloth. But the reason is, it is like a small sitting room. And he had a brilliant idea because there were initially two doors. So Mm -hmm. one door opening, which is still there, onto the main sitting room. And then a door that was kind of opening on the corridor onto the kitchen. And he said, we should close that door because a room that has only one opening feels much more cozy. Mm -hmm. And, and so we did that, we closed the door and in that door, we actually, it became, you know, we put shelves in the opening and it became a library and it's a, it's a, like a TV room, but really it's so cool. And I just, I am drawn to that room when I walk into the house, that's where I sit. That's where mm-hmm. I spend my time in the weekend. That's where, you know, I watch movies with my kids. Um, and when I have a dinner party at home, which I love hosting at home, you know, when guests arrive we sit in the main sitting room and then we have dinner but that's where everyone goes to after dinner and it's like where you know it's 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 the fun place to be and at the same time I think it feels cozy because maybe of the structure we gave to the room Mm -hmm. and obviously the decor
0: but I wondered if there are areas that you had more of a conversation about that you maybe had opposing views was, were there any bits yeah of to course it? there are
1: of course there are <laughs> how did you resolve but, those <laughs> yeah well you know I think first of all he uh, actually someone who's mainly interested uh, and very good at space and decorate the main decoration the big picture and then I'm very very much into fabrics and objects and tiny things that I find, you know, at flea markets so or that, uh, that I because that house was really decorated with a lot of pieces that I had in London, pieces that belonged to my father, or just pieces I found at flea markets, or you know. Mm. So it, it, then it was a matter of pulling everything together. But I think he was trying to push me to create a bit more contrast, whereas I like to feel safe. So I think in some. Rooms and some elements, he managed to push me to do something different, mm-hmm. and um, in some others, I was you know I kind of put my feet down about and my <laughs> kind of conservative approach won, but it, it was very funny because he he teases me saying it it all has to be terracotta with you, Martine. it all has to be that, and I tease him and I say, you know, do not even try and put some pink or some turquoise into anything you <laughs> know around my house. <laughs> But again, I think if I were to do a house now, I'd probably, you know, probably do a green room. My new obsession is, like, the combination of pink and jade and celadon. Yeah, yeah. So, you see, I think when you, like, push boundaries, then you evolve into something else and you look at things differently. I think that's the interesting thing about people's style.
0: And do you think that people's homes should always be like this, that where they sort of express
1: themselves Yes, and I th- I don't think people do that enough. You know, I think I think that's that's the one thing we probably all learned from the pandemic is how important our houses are. They are a nest. That's where we all felt safe. And even now with the situation, political situation, you know, how important having a you know a roof above you and and your home and it's your it's it's really it, it, it's your safe place. So I think you know why not be bold about it and, and express yourself in a, in a house as much as you, you know, as we've learned to express ourselves through our personal style or fashion, whether for men or for women. I think that's also why there's been a huge sort of surge in interest in tableware. Because the table is the one thing where probably people feel safe expressing themselves at home, because you can always change it. Right. Yeah. But you can you can change your tablecloth. You can add new cutlery. You can get new plates and mix them with vintage ones you found at a flea market. And mm. you know, go wild with flowers. Or next time, just put green. I mean, it's just so interesting. And it's like a canvas. You know, it's right there. It's a finished space.
0: Martina is passionate about discovering craftspeople and artisans, as well as exploring how those working in different regions of the world are influenced by their heritage and use different techniques. Just like Cabana magazine itself, Martina appreciates the current revival of craft, preferring to fill her home with inventions of creative minds, rather than just anonymous objects, as well as more than a few centuries spanning treasures.
1: And how do you feel your own tastes have evolved? I think it evolved in that, I think, training your eye, seeing a lot. And by that, I mean, there's no right or wrong. It's what your eye responds to. It's mm. what you like. And once you understand what you like, it's kind of building around that, trying to see more of that. Or, you know, for example, I, I think there's nothing like traveling, traveling and seeing things and yeah. obviously seeing, you know, houses or seeing, but even just walking, I, I was talking about the Middle East. The Middle East had a huge influence on me, whether it's Istanbul and it's the Bazaar or, or Morocco, um, uh, you know, or Cairo. Every time I visited any of these places, I came back with a kind of richer feeling. I think that that's also something that people don't do as much as, they did in other times is when they travel they don't really see things right they sit and mm. very often it's so comfortable to be you know with your family in the hotel and you, you don't explore
0: yeah just streets walking through streets i mean it's interesting that you are drawn to middle east countries and things like that because i think what's interesting about that culture is the the pattern
1: right yes yes it's the patterns it's the layering. Um, It's the colors also and the objects. And, and that's one other thing, you know, back to decoration is, you know, just collect, collect things. And, and, and it's not about the value. It's about, Mm -hmm. you know, liking something. And I'm a huge, like I'm a, a devour flea markets. Every object has a story and, To me, what's interesting, for example, with textiles or ceramics is the influence that different cultures and different places had on certain specific traditions. So if you look at, for example, I don't know, Romanian pottery, you see the Islamic influence from the Ottoman Empire, because obviously they were right there at some point, you know. Or you see, you know, Central American pottery, and it was influenced probably by trade, by European pottery. Or was it the other way around? you know. Yeah. And and patterns, um, for example, very often have the same symbols repeated in different parts of the world in different times. I think that's so interesting. I mean, mm, it's, it, is. it says, says a lot about how our brain works.
0: I'm interested. I didn't realise you were an only child. I'm an only child. And I used to collect an awful lot of things. And I just wonder if as a child you collected mm. as well, or if it's um, something that happened when you started traveling, I, I don't know what it is about. I you have a lot of time to yourself when you're an only child.
1: Yes, I did collect as a child, but I collected like every other. You know, I, I collected lots of stickers. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and rubbers. I collected rubbers. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then I collected stones. You know, like pebbles. Yeah. Um. And and I would then paint them. I, I've never been a very creative person. I actually, in fact, I'm very bad at creative meaning. Like and. From an artist standpoint, I'm very bad at drawing. I'm very bad at kind of you know doing. That surprises things.
0: me. That surprises yeah, I'm, I'm me really a lot. Bad.
1: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> or I think it's more you know I have an editor approach. I edit, yes. but I'm not good yeah. at making. Yeah. I edit what other people make.
0: But I, I read somewhere that you sort of you've undertaken a dawn raid at Kempton Market. What yes. <laughs> antiques? What kind of places do you go scouring apart from you know on your travels? flea markets are their favorites of yours
1: well i i love i think i love interior shopping in in london and in england so Mm -hmm. my my love story continues but um many places some places in the countryside so antique you know tedbury one of my favorite um to go and sort of antique um shopping london again antique shopping some places on the pimlico road um and and obviously also oka you know there are um, Some bits and pieces and, and, and all the rattan, yeah, uh, elements and, and accessories yeah. that are essential to any house. Mm. What are the kind of fabrics or surfaces that you sort of
0: end up having in nearly all your homes? Do you have something that recurs wherever you are? In terms
1: of patterns or in terms of like actual texture? Both or either, I don't mind. I'd say stripes, for sure. I love stripes. Um, so I'd say stripes and mixing stripes with a pattern like a paisley or a floral or so that combination for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some plain velvet, whether mm, I it's, love velvet. Y- yeah. yeah, whether it's just, you know, the cushions on your dining chairs or it's, you know, cushions on the sofa. So I think, I think all these, and I think a great linens are always a good idea.
0: That really makes me feel Italian feel, and I think of like lots of lovely linen. Mm. That texture just works very well with sort of palazzo walls and that sort of Mm. worn texture.
1: Um, And then, and then antique pieces, you know. But as I said, Mm. without any particular value. I mean, if you want the value, that's great. But Mm. um, I think that's that adds definitely adds a patina. I think the next interesting thing is actually to have that warmth in a house, but to get that with a much simpler approach. So as I said, it's probably going from you know, the Mongiardino approach or the I don't know, David Hicks approach to a site wombly, you know. So the yeah. very a very, very essential very essential rooms, but you know, with colour, with patina, with you know, great objects. And then I think also the use of trims, embroideries, borders. Mm-hmm. That's also, uh, I think, an interesting thing to watch.
0: Yeah, the fringes are back and all that sort of... Yeah,
1: the fringes are back. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely.
0: Where in your home right now, I know we talked about the cozy room, but are there other spaces? What? How have you done your bedroom? I love, like, thinking of that space as well because that's where you kind of really relax right
1: yes well I kind of made a dream a childhood dream come true because as a little girl I always dreamed of having a four-poster bed that was like my dream and it never happened until now this house and so that's what we did and Ashley kind of had a design the typical David Hicks four-poster bed design where it's not a actual four-poster bed you get it's hung to the ceiling Oh. Part of it. It's only you know. Oh yeah, with a canopy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. And what kind of fab what what's the fabric? That fabric is a fabric by Ashley, and it's a red and white um fabric inspired by an, a Renaissance motif. Uh but the room is entirely yellow uh red and white. And I used as the background to the headboard: an old kente cloth, African cloth, I'd found at a shop on Church Street in North London, mm-hmm. um, and and so it's 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 uh, there again. It's it's a mix of new fabrics with an old fabric. Um, then the the desk in the room is a kind of quite modern desk that I found at a, at a flea market, and it's a kind of almost office. Okay steel office desk which we then painted red and then there's a there's a piece as a cabinet that I found at, in Tedbury and the bedside tables were my mom's as well as the lamps um mm. and and then there's an a, a sort of old rattan daybed.
0: Uh, day bed oh I love a day bed
1: yeah and then I think also you know kitchens and bathrooms are so important that's what I'm always looking for with cabana when we publish interiors and the photographers I work with know that. There was like, you know, Martina, I found this incredible kitchen, you will love it. But I think those are the heart and soul of a house. You know, if you think the kitchen obviously mm. is, but also the bathroom. I mean, we spend so much time. Mm. So I think it's very important to think about those rooms as well.
0: Mondadori's nostalgia for the atmosphere of her childhood home extends to some of her most cherished possessions now. Her approach to interiors involves a lot of upcycling and recycling of old pieces of furniture from her father and her mother's first house, designed by Mongiardino in the early 70s in Verona, as well as smart flea market finds and one particularly loved possession from her mother's own childhood. love to know what your most treasured possession is in the home
1: well I would I would have said my children but (laughs) yeah um yeah well I think I think it's it's probably one thing belonging to my mom and one to my dad so her beds the beds were uh single beds were my daughter in my daughter's bedroom Belonged to her as a girl, wow. growing up in, outside of Venice, and I found those during lockdown um, in the countryside. And she she was sitting with us, and so I went in the attic and I found these two old, really old beds, um, and they had a kind of typical kind of tree of life pattern um, in pinks and greens, and um, and uh, you know I had them kind of re reupholstered, but. Th- They're there, and it it, it really kind of fills my heart with joy to think that my daughter is sleeping in, you know, in the same beds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So uh, definitely that for the story, yeah.
0: Okay, that's lovely. And what about your dad? You said there was one piece maybe of your dad's.
1: Yes, it is a, a kind of, it's not a coffee table because you can't put really lots of stuff on it, but it's a table. Um, I have the center of the uh, living room that was in my London home and now in Milan and was in his apartment in, in Milan. Um, and it's, I think originally it used to be, uh, it's an antique piece and it used to be like a fountain, but it's entirely black and it feels, it's antique, but it feels so modern. Mm. Um, and, um, and it's, it's kind of like a, really like a sculpture, but it has followed me over the years.
0: I know we touched a little bit on what Ashley has done in your home. I find it interesting that he's very embracing the classical things and I think of his father's work as this kind of boldly modern 60s, like very strong geometric pattern. Is there any part of David Hicks's work that's made it into the apartment or have you kind well, of... the canopy
1: bed, the bed, for the sure. The bed, yeah. Um, and, well, I think, I think there's a certain use of brown... OK, that Ashley has learned from his father and masters that um, because, I mean, I think one of the best stories I've heard about about David Hicks is the kind of the day he decided that a room had to be Coca-Cola brown, which is such a <laughs> specific thing, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and it and 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 a lot of a lot, the use of red. And also, you know, the patterns he created, let's not forget, they were all originally tribal patterns or folk patterns, whether Welsh blankets or patterns from Africa or Mm. from Japan, from, you know, so I think that he was so clever to translate those and make them feel modern, like modern patterns, but originally Mm. that was his source. So I think travel again is, was part of that.
0: Thank you so much for letting us all have a glimpse into your world. It's been really, really fascinating. Thank you. And um, hopefully one day when I'm in Milan, I might see it for real. But um, that's yes, been, please. been fantastic. Yeah. Thank you, Martina. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode six of the House of Tales podcast by Oka. Next time, in the penultimate episode of series one, we truly come home. More specifically to the charming countryside home of Oka co-founder and creative director Sue Jones to explore tales of authenticity. Sue shares tales of how three friends embarking on a mission to decorate a holiday home led to a journey of discovery in search of unique finds from the Far East, creating a lifetime of memories and experiences along the way, and how her travels around the world have helped her to build up a style that's authentically her own, and the Ochre business that we know and love today. Be sure to subscribe to the Ochre House of Tales podcast wherever you listen. This episode was hosted by me, Bethan Ryder, and featured Martina Mondadori. Recording, production, and audio post was by Tolori, with executive producers Mike Riczynski and Mark Baker. Music direction was by Andy Guthrie.